Hello, thank you for joining us today for the Harvest Time Church weekly podcast. As you listen today, we pray that you are richly blessed and that the message would guide you deeper into your walk with Jesus and help you to advance his kingdom here on earth. Have a blessed day. So this morning, we're going to jump right into the message. This morning, I have Brother Pat Martinez going to share. You go ahead and come on up. Uh, I'm going to pray over him and I'm going to release him. I've, I've given him all my authority this morning. I told him, I said, don't shrink back, share, and just be free. Uh, I want you all to also receive just like I was telling you. Okay? I said, well, I don't like what that brother said. Well, Pastor Noe told you to receive it just like I, I said it. So I know that sometimes people we don't know, sometimes we have a hard time receiving. I want you this morning to, to hear everything as if the Holy Spirit was speaking to you. Thank you, Lord. Because if the Holy Spirit tells you, guess what? You're going to lose that argument. Amen. Right? So we're just going to pray over him and release him in this house. Lord, I thank you for Pat. Lord, in all the areas and all the ways that he serves and blesses this church. And Father, this morning uh, that, he, that he's uh, preaching in the pulpit this morning, Father, I pray that there would just be a release of your Holy Spirit within him and through him. Father, I pray that you'd give him the wisdom and understanding, Lord, that you'd guard his tongue, what to say, what not to say. But Father, I pray that he would hear from heaven and release to us today the words that you have put in his heart by your Spirit. Thank you, Jesus. Father, Father, I pray against nerves and stress and all of those things. Father, I pray that it would just be easy. And Father, that he would just uh, be free to minister in this house. Thank you, Lord. Father, we bless him. In Jesus' name we pray. Thank you. Amen. Amen. All right. I'll tell you like Brother Jim. Thank you, Brother Pastor. (laughs) I always love it when he says that. Uh, Yeah, I just want to thank Pastor Noe for this opportunity to bring the word this morning. And uh, I'm, I'm really excited uh, to, to be up here and to be sharing what God has been placing in my heart. And, uh, you know, before I jump into that, I just want to say, I don't know about y'all, but I am just so excited to see the church be the church, to see the church showing up and to be baptizing people, to be prophesying over people, to be bringing the word, to be bringing worship, to be being bringing praise to being laying hands on the sick and healing the sick and just being what God has called us to be amen so I'm just excited to see that so uh this morning I'm going to be talking about effective prayer and uh this is something that God's really been dealing with me about more and more and uh I was I was when I was praying about, you know, Lord, like, what, what is it that you want me to speak about? You know, the Lord was talking to me about how here in our church, we have a, we have a wide range of spiritual age. You know, we have, we have brothers and sisters who are just saved, like literally a couple of weeks. And then we have brothers and sisters who have been saved longer than I've been alive. <laughs> you know, so, I mean, we have, a, we have a wide range. And so I want to touch on a few things uh, about prayer that, that, may, that may be old news to some and maybe brand new information to others and vice versa. So, you know, just, just hang in with me here this morning. Um, you know, whenever, uh, I was going to college, I took, uh, I took some pottery classes 
And uh, one of the things that you do whenever you're uh, taking pottery is you get this brand new, beautiful brick of, of pure clay that's been purified. Everything's been taken out of it. But when you take it out of that bag and you cut off a piece, you can't just start making something out of it because there's air pockets inside that clay. And if you just get right to work and you make something and you go, you throw it in the kiln and it gets exposed to that great heat, that air inside those air pockets expand and boom, your, your beautiful piece of work will just expand. Explode. And so you have to take that clay and you have to knock it down and you have to roll it out and you have to knead it and you have to get all that air out of it and then you can make something beautiful. So as I get into this word this morning, if you feel like I'm knocking you down a little bit, I'm just trying to get that air out. So that way when we are exposed to the heat of life, when we're exposed to the heat that's purifying us, that's God is making us into that beautiful thing that he has called us to be, that we're not going to buckle under the pressure. We're not going to blow up. All right. So thank you, Lord. So the first thing I want to talk about this morning is, and this is something that I dealt with in my life for a long time. You know, I was, I was raised in church literally from the time I was born until right now. I've always been in church, you know, but it wasn't until I was in my early 20s that I, that I had a true, real, real personal relationship with God, that I had a true understanding of who Christ was to me and, and the significance that that had on my life. And so I knew how to pray as a young child. I knew the word, but it wasn't like a, it wasn't like a very important thing to me, just being honest, you know? Uh, it was kind of like, who in here likes to go to La Casona? They got great food there, right? Yeah, and then who in here gets ice cream on your way out? Well, a lot of us, we treat prayer like that ice cream. You know, we go to La Casona for the food, and we get the ice cream just because it's there, right? We're there. Oh, we might as well get some on the way out. You know, and a lot of times, that's how we treat prayer. And then in our life, we're wondering why we're struggling. We're wondering why we're having a hard time, like, getting, getting through every day or getting through different situations in our life. So uh, let me read some scripture real quick, and then we'll get into my first point here. This is James 5, 13 through 18. It says, is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing songs. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. And it goes on, it says, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three years and six months. And he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth produced its fruit. You know, a lot of us... And for many years, like I said, I did too. I did this too. We, we live a prayerless life. You know, we have hopes, we have dreams, we have desires. And we even may express like, man, I wish this would happen. I wish that, that God would have this happen in my life. But in reality, our, our, our life is prayerless. You know, even if we pray with our kids at night. You know, or even if we, you know, now I lay me down to sleep, the Lord, you know, I pray the Lord, my soul to keep, it becomes a ritual, right? How, how much, how much fervency is in that? How much effectiveness is in that? If it's just a ritual, if it's not truly a heartfelt, like, Hey, I'm trying to pray here. I truly pray here. I'm trying to dig in and teach my children how to pray. Or even if you pray for your food, you know, Cipri 
uh, my youngest son, I'm going to kind of embarrass him a little bit, he, he always prays for our dinner. And the reason why is because he's always the first one to take a bite. <laughs> and that's our rule. If, we, if everyone hasn't sat down yet and we haven't prayed, and I sit down at the table, because I, I usually serve everybody, I'm usually the last one at the table to sit down with my plate. And if I sit down and I see Seapree with a mouthful, I'm like, okay, son, you know, you got to pray. <laughs> you can, you, you know, you couldn't, you couldn't wait just a few more minutes. And, uh, and, you know, I, I'm not saying that praying at night is a bad thing. I'm not saying that praying for your food is a bad thing. Those are good things. It's good to teach our children. It's good to instill that. But, but we have to go beyond it just being something that we do because we do it when we go to bed or we do it when we pray. It has to become something real in our life. You know, and I know for me, for years, church was the place I prayed the most. You know, I'd, I'd come here and I'd pray for my spiritual food. You know, the pastor would bring a good word. The worship team would bring, bring good worship. You know, people would be having their hands lift. I'd get excited because I could feel the anointing and I could feel the presence of God in the room. And so I would pray in that moment. And I would, get, I would get excited in that moment and I would pray and I would feel the presence of God and God would speak to me in that moment. But then I wouldn't do it again until the next Sunday or the next Wednesday. You know, uh, do you know the number one reason why prayer doesn't get answered? That's just a rhetorical question, but the number one reason why prayer doesn't get answered is because we don't pray in the first place. <laughs> you know, if, I mean, if, if you can't say amen, say oh me, all right? Like, <laughs> that's, you know, but it's, it's true. You know, I think a lot of times that that, that, is, our, that is our number one issue. And, and brother, our brother James in James chapter four, verse one and two, he touches on that. He says, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire, but do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. And you do not have, because you do not ask God. So this isn't something new, right? This isn't something new for the church. Like this is, this is an issue that has been going on throughout the whole entire history of the church, that people, people have struggled with prayer. You know, I know for me... When, when I was younger and I would be leaving church and I would be like, all right, guys, I'll see y'all next week. My, the church folk weren't the only people I was talking to. <laughs> you know, I mean, really, that was kind of my attitude. Like, I, inadvertently, I was saying that to God, too. All right, God, I'll, you know, I'll see you next week. You know, and so... Uh, a lot of y'all might be thinking, well, Brother Pat, you know, I, we, do, we do pray all the time. And, uh, and sometimes we get frustrated because we're praying and we're praying and we don't, we don't see things happen in our life. And it's because even if we're not prayerless, we have selfish prayer. All right. And so that's, that's the next thing I want to touch on real quick. So there's this old joke and I'm going to, I'm going to try not to mess it up, but there was this guy and he was out hunting. Okay. And he was bear hunting. All right. And I don't know if anybody knows anything about bear hunting, but you have to get pretty close whenever you're hunting a bear. And so that bear can smell you up to two miles away. I mean, bears have very, very good smell. And so you may think you're hunting that bear, but at the same time, he's hunting you just as much. And so it's like, who, who's going to get there first? Well, this guy, he's out there and he's got a black, uh, black powder musket. So he's got one shot. All right. And he sees that bear. He gets the bear in his sights and boom, he shoots and he misses. 
and the bear starts charging for him. And the guy's like, oh man, this is it. Like his life is flashing before his eyes and he falls on his knees and he closes his eyes and he grasps his hands together and he starts to pray and he starts to bargain with God and saying, Lord, I'll start praying for my food twice every time I eat dinner. I'll start, I'll go to church every, I mean, he's just bargaining and bargaining and all of a sudden he gets this great idea. All right. He's like, I'm going to pray for this bear to become a Christian because the word says thou shalt not kill. And so he starts praying, Lord, please, Lord, let this bear become a Christian. Let this bear become a Christian. And all of a sudden it gets quiet and he opens up his eyes and the bears kneeling down in front of him with his hands like this. And the bear looks at him and says, dear Lord, bless this food that I'm about to eat in Jesus name. Amen. <laughs> You know, a lot of times we're in that situation, right? Like we're, we're praying and we may even feel like we're praying fervently, right? Like we're in a situation where like, man, this, this bear's about to eat me. You know, this bear's about to take me out. And we're praying and we're praying and we're praying, but we're praying what we want to pray. You know, we're not, we're not praying what God has for us. And then discouragement sets in, uh, you know, doubt creeps up and, you know, we feel like we can't catch a break and we feel like, you know, God isn't hearing us. But when we say, man, God isn't even hearing me, God doesn't even know what I'm saying. I think a lot of times what we're really saying is God isn't doing what I want him to do for me, you know, and there's a big difference. There's a big difference between God not answering your prayer and God not being a magic genie for you to rub that lamp and to do what, do what you want. You know, uh, James 4.3 says, when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your own pleasures. You know, so many of us are praying for bears to become Christians that we don't know what God is trying to accomplish in our life. We're so busy praying that, you know, I want, I want God to fulfill that, God, I have a plan. God, I have a purpose. I have a path set for my life. And we're just praying for God to get on board with that. But if we can understand that God has something so much greater for us, more than we could ever hope or imagine. That's what the word says. He, we, he has things for us that we could never conceive of if we can bow our hearts to him. Thank you, Lord. You know, what, what do y'all think the purpose of prayer is? You know, I think sometimes we feel like, well, if prayer isn't to get me what I want in life, then what, what's the purpose of prayer, right? You know, because the word talks about over and over again that we're very selfish, aren't we? That we're very self-centered, that we're very me, 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 you know? And it's not just, it's not just you, it's not just me, that's just human nature, right? Because we're, because we're in this fallen world. And so I think when we can understand what the purpose of prayer is, that the purpose of prayer is to release what has happened in the spirit into the natural, right? You know, the purpose of prayer is obviously to have communion with God, to have a conversation with God. But, but the ultimate purpose of prayer is to release what is happening in the spirit into the natural. Uh, right here it says in Matthew 6, 9, and 10, After this manner, therefore, pray ye, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, and thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
You know, prayer is a conduit to pass down what God has already done in heaven to us here on earth. Amen. You know, the, everything, every promise that's in the word of God has already been accomplished. Every, every moment of, of blessing and promise that God has given us in his word, it's already been done. That work was done on the cross. When Jesus died and he rose again, we were healed, we were set free, we were delivered. Amen. Amen? But, that, but that, there has to be a conduit for that to be released to us here on earth. And, that, and that's, what the, that's what the purpose of prayer is. In John 5.19, it says, Then Jesus answered and said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of himself but what he sees the Father do. For whatever he does, the Son also does in like manner. You know, Jesus' prayer was incredibly effective. When Jesus prayed, things happened. When Jesus laid his hands on people, people were healed. When Jesus commanded miracles, the water turned the wine, the fish multiplied, the bread multiplied. Things happened when he prayed. And we think to ourselves, well, you know, he was, he was God, you know? I mean, he was fully God. He was fully man. But the, thing, the difference is, is that Jesus said it right here, that he said that the son can do nothing of, of himself, but what he sees the father do. See, Jesus had an understanding of what it took for there to be effective prayer, all right? You see, Jesus became an example of what our relationship should be with the father. He, gave, he was that perfect example of, of how to be submissive to the, to the heavenly father. You know, the thing is, is that he, Jesus, he prayed to the Father, and Jesus listened to the Father, and then Jesus fulfilled the will of the Father. That's why his prayer was so successful, because he wasn't praying about what he wanted. He wasn't trying to accomplish what he wanted to do, because when he prayed, he heard and he listened to what the Father had to say, and then when he heard what the Father had to say, he didn't say, yeah, God, I'm not too sure about that. That's kind of a, that's kind of a tough ask, you know? And no, he, he fulfilled the will of the Father. You know, some of y'all might be thinking, well, Brother Pat, I don't, I don't really know how to pray. You know, I, I don't know God's will. How do I know God's will? I don't know how to hear God's voice. You know, I hear people say all the time, man, I was praying the other day and, you know, I heard, I heard the Lord tell me this. And I know a lot of you are in that spot because I was in that spot at one time in my life. I'm like, how do you hear from God? How do you know what God's will is? You know, how do I even pray? And the Lord over the years has revealed through me, through people from good teachers, from good pastors, that this, the secret to success for that type of prayer is we have, to, we have to read the word, we have to study its words, and we have to pray the scripture. You know, the Bible is where we find his plan. The Bible is where we find his purpose and his path for our life. You know, that's how we can get out of that mindset of being caught up in our plan, our purpose, what we're trying to accomplish, and flip that script and have a paradigm shift and realize that God has already given us this awesome tool to be able to know how to pray, to be able to know what our purpose is, to be able to know how to fulfill God's plan in our life. It's all, it's all right here. There's this Baptist preacher from the late 1800s. His name was F.B. Meyer. 
And he has this really awesome quote that I love. It says, God's promises are given not to restrain, but to incite prayer. They show the direction in which we may ask and the extent to which we may expect an answer. They are the mold into which we may pour our fervent spirits without prayer, without fear. So God's promises are not given so that way we can just rest on our laurels and sit back and be like, oh man, God, God promised this. So, you know, I'm good. I'm just going to sit back and wait. No, God's promises were given to incite prayer. All right. God's, God's promises were given. So that way, not only do we know what we can ask for, but we know the full measure in which it will be given. Isn't that exciting? I don't know about you, but that's exciting to me that when I read the word of God, when I see the promises of God, that not only do I know what to pray for, but I know what's going to happen. You know, he said that he said that God's promises are a mold, which we can pour our fervent spirit, that we can pour our prayer into without fear. Why can we do that? Why can we pour our prayer into these promises of the word without fear? Because God says that I'm not a man that would lie. He says that my promises are yes and amen. He says that if I say it, I'm going to do it. Amen. So when we pray the word, when we pray the promises of God, we don't have to have fear of being let down. We don't have to have fear of being rejected because those promises have already been accomplished. That's what he said. That when Jesus was teaching the, the apostles how to pray, that's what he prayed. Lord, your will that has already been done in heaven, let it come down and be done here on earth. Those promises that have already been fulfilled in heaven, let them come down and be fulfilled here on earth. Lord, those things that you have spoken over my life, Lord, I'm opening up myself to you. I'm pouring myself into you, into this prayer without fear, because I know what your promise says, and I know that your promise is true. Amen? Amen. Thank you, Lord. You know, you want to hear, you want to hear God's voice? He wrote it down for you. You know, I know a lot of people avoid the word because they're afraid that they won't understand it. They read it and they feel confused. They feel intimidated. And so they put it down and they put it away. And I, and I promise you right now, that is a tactic of the enemy. That is a tactic of the enemy to tell you that, that you are not smart enough, that you can't get it, that, that, that you're never going to understand what these things are saying, that you have to rely on other people to explain it to you. That is the tactic of the enemy. It is a good thing to listen to teachers who, who are well-studied. It is a good thing to listen to your pastors. It is a good thing to come to Sunday school. But there's something about sitting down with the Word of God yourself and sitting down and reading it. You know, whenever I was in high school and I started taking biology, I didn't know that the mitochondria was the power power cell of the house. I mean, the powerhouse of the cell, right? But I figured that out after I read my textbook. I didn't know anything about algebra. I didn't know anything about biology. I didn't know anything about grammar. But when I sat down and I read the book and I spent time with it, I began to gain an understanding, right? I began to gain an understanding between reading myself and hearing instruction, reading myself and hearing instruction. And those things began to become alive in me. So how much more will the word of God become alive in you? How much more will you be begin to understand because you have the greatest teacher. 
You have the Holy Spirit in you. The Holy Spirit is in you, and he's desiring for you to dig into the word. He's desiring for you to reach into the word because he wants to reveal to you. He wants to, be, to bring revelation into your life. When you sit down and you see this passage of scripture that maybe you don't understand the full capacity of it, and you read it over, and you read it over, and you read it over, and you begin to study it, and you begin to apply it to your life, and the Holy Spirit will open up your eyes. He will give you eyes to see. He will give you ears to hear, and he will open up your understanding and you will be able to live out that promise of God in your life. Amen? Amen. You know, if you want to know God's will, then he laid a path for it in his word. Amen? You know, we have to develop a habit of reading the word of God. And I know, I know we hear this all the time. I know Pastor Noe preaches about this. You know, Pastor Jim preaches about this. Y'all probably hear it all the time from your life group leaders. You hear it all the time in youth, wherever you are, you hear like, hey, you have to, you have, to have a systematic way of reading the Bible every day in your life. Every day, read it, read it, read it every day. And, and the reason behind that is because once it becomes a habit in our life, it becomes a part of who we are. It becomes a part of what we do. You know, when I get up in the morning, you know, I get dressed, I brush my teeth, I do my hair, I go to work because that's what I have to do, right? Well, part of that should be I get up and I read the word and I pray and I, do my, and I brush my teeth and I get dressed and I go to work because it's a part of who I am. It's something that I have to do. It's something that I have to do to be able to get get through my life, right? I have to go to work to be able to provide for my family. Well, I have to get in the word and I have to pray to be able to provide covering for my family. I have to get in the word and have to pray because if I, if I don't have overflow in my life, how am I going to give into the life of my family? If I don't have overflow in my life, how am I going to get up here and pour into your lives through praise and worship? How am I going to get here and preach to you about prayer if I'm not praying myself, right? And so it's not just about you. It's not just about God's will for your life. It's about God's will for the whole, the whole surrounding of your life because you don't realize the people that you touch. You don't realize the people that you impact, good or bad, right? You have impact. You touch people's lives around you. And if you're not in the will of God and you're doing your own thing, you're touching people's lives that way. But if you are in the will of God and you're doing what he has called you to do, just that, that's how much greater that is. You know, we want to know how to pray. And the way I learned how to pray was to pray the scripture. You know, and that's something that we have taught our children too. Like, you know, our children, they're young. You know, uh, well, they're not so young anymore. My Sammy's about to graduate from high school, but I'm not going to talk about that because I'm not going to cry up here this morning, all right? <laughs> you know, but, you know, my, 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 my sons are 17 and 13, and, you know, and they, they have a greater understanding of prayer than they did when they were younger because when they were younger, they would hear me, me and Sherry pray, and then we'd be like, okay, boys, y'all pray, and they'd be like, I don't know what to say. And so, so we would get scriptures and we would write them down and we'd put them on the mirror in the bathroom. We'd put them on the inside of the cabinet when they'd open up the cabinet every day after school to get a snack. There's, there's a scripture right there that they could pray, you know, something that they could understand. And so we have to begin to read the word and pray it over our lives. So I've got a couple of examples here. Uh, Psalm 51. Is a, is a prayer of repentance. David was saying, have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgression, wash away all my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. 
You know, if you don't know how to pray for forgiveness, it's in the word. You know, if, if you have anxiety, if you have in fear, Psalm, 20, Psalm 23, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Your rod and your staff, it comforts me. You know, I don't, Lord, I don't know what to pray. I'm so, I'm so anxious. I'm so fearful. God's saying, I already wrote it down for you. Just, just read the word. Pray the scripture. Psalm 91 says, because he loves me, says the Lord, I will rescue him. I will protect him for he acknowledges my name. He will call on me and I will answer him and I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him with long life. I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. So God is speaking his life over us. That's what this is saying. When, when, when David was writing this psalm, the Lord began to speak back to David and said, because you love me, David, I'm going to rescue you. I'm going to protect you for you acknowledge my name. You call on me. You know, we just, we don't need to just read it, but we need to pray it over ourselves in a personal way. You know, one of my, one of my favorite passages of scripture is, Psalm, is uh, Deuteronomy 28. You know, when the boys were little, that, that was the main scripture that we would pray together all the time. And I tell you what, nothing gets you get your faith more riled up. Nothing gets you more excited than you're walking through the house. You know, everybody's getting ready for school and you hear your little son in the bathroom reading that scripture that's on the mirror while he's brushing his teeth. I'm the head and I'm not the tail. I'm blessed coming in and I'm blessed going out. My storehouses are full. When my enemy comes against me, the Lord defeats them and sends them out away from me seven different ways. You know, when you hear your child speaking the word, when you hear your child praying the word, you're like, thank you, Lord. It stirs you up and you begin to pray, Lord, I'm the head and I'm not the tail. I'm blessed in the city and I'm blessed in the country. I'm blessed coming in and I'm blessed going out. Everything that all my, all my baskets are full, everything that my hand touches is blessed. You begin to pray the word of God over your life. And it, it's effectual and it's powerful. Amen? Amen. You know, I'm sure many of you have a very healthy prayer life. You know, like I was saying earlier that, you know, there's, there's people in here that have been saved longer than I've been alive, you know. And that to me, that's just an awesome thing, you know, to have served the Lord for your whole life. And, and if that's you, then you, then you understand that there's seasons in your prayer life. And so I'm going to touch on three seasons of our prayer life real quick. I'm not going to keep you all too much longer. Uh, I heard this preacher preach one time and he said that uh, his sermon uh, didn't have to be everlasting to be eternal. All right. So, <laughs> so I'm not going to try to keep you all too much longer, but I'm going to try to, I'm also going to be obedient to what the Lord is saying to me this morning. Amen. So I'm going to go back to uh, James uh, chapter 5 or 17 and 18, where I was talking about Elijah. It says, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three years and six months. And he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth produced its fruit. In the Amplified Version, it, it kind of goes into a little bit more detail. I, I didn't put that up, but it says, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, with the same physical, mental, spiritual limitations and shortcomings. And he prayed intensely for it not to rain and it did not rain on the earth for three years and six months. So King Ahab was a king in the Old Testament and 
through the, it's a, it's a long story, but if you, if you want to read about it, read about, read about the prophet Elijah in first, in first Kings in the Old Testament. It, he had an amazing, amazing uh, story. He had an amazing um, ministry and God used him in a mighty way. But, but there was a king and his name was King Ahab and he married this evil woman named Jezebel. All right. She worshiped Baal. She had, you know, like 350 priests, you know, that, that, that were worshiped this God named Asherah. And they had 400 priests that worshiped this God named Baal. And they were killing the people of God, the priests of God. They were doing all of these terrible things. They had, they had torn down the altars of God. They had completely as a nation, completely turned their back on God. And so God brought Elijah in the picture, and Elijah was a prophet. And God told Elijah to go tell King Ahab that he's going to shut the heavens for three and a half years. Now, I don't know if y'all remember, but there was about, uh, there was a summer about eight or 10 years ago, and the heavens got shut up around here for what, about six months? And there was big old cracks, big enough in my backyard where my dog could have fallen in, you know? And that was just after six months. So can you, you can imagine, especially if you're a farmer or, you know, if you, if you've worked in that area, having no rain, having no water touch your land for three and a half years, it's going to be a bad situation, right? There, it's not just going to be bad for the ground, but it's going to be bad for your mouth. <laughs> it's going to be bad for your pocket, you know, because there's going to be no food. There's going to be no food to sell. There's going to be no food to eat. I mean, they, they were in a bad situation. God was, God was bringing judgment to them. And Elijah, he, he came back after that, after that three and a half years and he brought a challenge to these 700, 750 or so prophets of, some of them were prophets of this one God, Baal. Some of them were prophets of this other God named Asherah. And, he, and God told him to bring a challenge to these people, okay? So what he did is they went and they got this big, big huge oxen and they, they sacrificed it. They cut it up into pieces and they, they built this altar that they, are, they, had, they had this altar built for their God, right? And they laid all the pieces on this altar and all, you know, 700 plus of these priests from, from sunrise until noon, they were out there dancing. They were out there singing. They were out there praying. They were doing all these rituals. They were doing all of this kind of stuff. And Elijah, he was just sitting there looking at them. And he was just waiting and seeing what they were doing. And, he, and, and the, the whole reason why they were doing this is because Elijah told them, I want you all to set up this altar. I want you to sacrifice this bull. And if your God is real, then he can send fire down from heaven and he can burn up that sacrifice. Because back in the Old Testament, even cultures that weren't, even religions that weren't Judaism, they, they made burnt offerings. They burnt, they burnt their sacrifices. So they, they understood what he, what he was referencing. And so they, that's what they were doing. They were praying to their God that, they, that he would send fire down and that he would burn up the sacrifice. And they prayed and they prayed and they prayed and nothing happened. And it got so bad that Elijah even mocked them at one point. It said, says in 1 Kings 18, 27, that at noon, Elijah began to taunt them. Shout louder, he said. Surely he is a God. Perhaps he is in deep thought or busy or traveling. Maybe he is sleeping and must be awakened. I mean, he was literally just mocking them openly to their face. Like he was so sure of what God was going to do because he had, heard, he had heard from the Lord. He knew what the Lord of the Lord was. And so, so the prophets of Baal from noon until, until evening time, they 
ramped it up. They got out swords and they got out knives and they got out spears and they began to cut themselves and they began to bleed and they began to dance and plead and plead and plead. And this went on for hours. So this it went on for eight, 12 hours total and nothing. No fire from heaven. The sacrifice just sat there. So Elijah tells them, let's... Let me, have that, let me have that meat that we cut up. And he went and he found 12 stones. And those 12 stones represented the 12 tribes of Israel. And he rebuilt the altar that King Ahab had and Jezebel had had their men tear down. He, re, he rebuilt the altar of God. And he dug a trench around the altar that was deep enough to hold 450 pounds of seed. I mean, a big, big wide trench around the altar. All right. And then he went and he got wood and he laid it out in the way that it was supposed to be laid out. And he goes and he gets all the meat from that steer that was cut up and sacrificed. And he laid it on top of the altar. And then he tells these priests of Baal, go get four large pitchers of water. And bring them and pour them over the sacrifice. Pour them on the wood, pour them on the stones. And, they, and they, then they went and they got them and they brought it and they poured it again. And they went and they got it and they poured it again. And for a third time, they went and they got filled up those four pitchers and they poured water over it again. There was so much water poured over that sacrifice, poured over that wood, that that trench that could hold 450 pounds of seed was completely full of water. All right? And then this is the prayer that Elijah prayed. So you got these guys praying for 12 hours, right? Cutting themselves, literally bleeding, laying their life out. I mean, doing everything they could possibly do to get their God to move. And Elijah prays the simple prayer. First Kings 18, 36, 37. It said, at the time of the sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed, Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and have done all these things at your command. Answer me, Lord, answer me. So these people will know that you, Lord, are God and that you are turning their hearts back again. When he prayed that prayer, he didn't have to wait 12 hours. He didn't have to wait 12 minutes. Immediately, fire fell from heaven. And the fire was so great that not only did it burn up the sacrifice, it burned up the wood, it burned the stones. It said it burned the dust from the ground. That there were, the fire was so great and so powerful that there was not even water left in the trench. I mean, God was going to show these people who he was. He's like, you have turned your back on me because you don't think that I am the one true God. Well, I'm going to show you that I'm the one true God. And when Elijah prayed that simple prayer, boom, fire fell and God moved. And, and, and those men, their hearts were turned and they said, well, man, we were, we were wrong. <laughs> we, we, picked, we picked the wrong one, you know, and, and they were punished for that. You know, the word, goes on, the word goes on to say that Elijah gathered up those 750 or so odd people and that, and that they were all killed, every single one of them, because they had turned their back on God. You know, and y'all might be thinking, okay, what's the story got to do with me? <laughs> you know, but, this, but the word says that Elijah was a man just like us, right? He, he had fears, he had doubts, he had hangups, but he also had a heart for God. He knew, he heard the voice of God. He was obedient to the voice of God. And when he prayed in this moment, boom, fire fell. I don't know about you, but there's been times in my life where I've been in this season. 
where it seems like every time I pray, man, fire just falls from heaven. Boom. Lord, I need a job. Boom. Fire fell. Lord, I need a place to stay. Boom. Fire fell. Lord, I need healing in my life. Boom. Fire fell. And just God just shows up every time. He shows up every time right away. Boom, 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 boom. And man, that's just an awesome place to be in. You know, a little while later, Isaiah, uh, I'm sorry, Elijah, he goes, uh, he goes back to King Ahab and he says, hey, I heard from the Lord and it's going to rain again. That's what the Lord told me. It's going to rain again. So he tells him, go up and go eat and drink and do your thing. And I'm going to go up to the Mount, Mount Carmel. I'm going to go up to the top and I'm going to begin to pray. And God's going to bring rain back to the land. And so it says that Elijah and his servant, they went up to the top of the mountain. And they get up there. And it says that Elijah, that he bent down to the ground and he put his face between his knees. I mean, like he became prostrate on the ground with his head on the ground, with his head in between his knees. And he began to fervently pray for the move of God. You know, when I was reading this, I was like, man, there's a stark contrast between this man who was sitting down at this altar mocking the prophets of this false god and just praying a simple prayer and boom, fire fell when he prayed to this man who is now just a little while later up at the top of this mountain prostrate before God with his head between his knees and he's praying, Lord, I know I heard your voice and I need you to move. You know, there's, there's a season in our life sometimes where that's where we're at. You know, where we've gone through the season where every time we pray, it seems like, man, fire falls. Boom. And then we get into this season where we're like, okay, Lord, I prayed. And it, you know, don't feel like, it don't feel like you moved too much that time. You know, what's, what's going on, God? And you, and you pray again and you pray again. And that's what Elijah did here. It says that Elijah, he would pray. And then he would tell his servant, go up, go up to the edge of the mountain over there, run over there and look at the sea and see if you see any clouds. And so his servant ran over there and to where, the, where he could see the sea and he'd look and he'd run back to Elijah and he'd say, he said, master, there's nothing there. And Elijah would pray again. And he said, go check again. And he'd run out there and he'd check again. And he came back over and over and over again. The word says that seven times he sent his servant to go check to see if there was rain. And on the seventh time, his servant said, Master, I see a cloud the size of a man's hand out on the horizon. And Elijah told him, run and tell King Ahab that he better get in this chariot and get back to Jezreel because the sky is about to open up and it's about to rain. And if he don't start now, if he don't get on his way now, he's not going to make it back. You know, Elijah went through a time in his life where he had to be stubbornly persistent about his prayer. He knew he heard from God. He knew that God had spoke to him. He knew that God had given him a word that lined up with the word of God. He had had that he had received revelation from God about something that was going to happen. But his previous experience was, hey, Lord, I'm going to honor you. I'm going to pray. And boom, fire fell. And this time I'm going to honor you. I'm going to pray. And it didn't happen right away. But the difference was, 
is that Elijah knew in his spirit what God had told him and that he was going to pray through it. That every time that the servant returned with a report that did not line up with, the word, with what the word of God said, he said, no, sir, go back and check again. You know, there's times in our life where we get in a season of prayer where we're praying fervently, we're on our face, we're on our knees, and we desperately need a move of God. And we get a word, we get a revelation from someone, or we get a news report from the doctor, or we get, you know, a news report from our job, or they hand us a pink slip, or whatever it is, and you're, and you're getting that report that doesn't line up with what you know the word of God says, that you know that those promises say about you, and what are you going to do? Are you just going to just stay there laying on the ground and be like, well, I prayed? Or are you going to be like the prophet Elijah and say, no, go back and check again? No, go back and check again. I know what the word of God says. Go back and check again. I, I will not receive that report. The only report that I receive is the report that God has promised me. Go back and check again. Go back and check again. And then when you pray persistently like that, the word of God will show up. You will see that cloud. Even if it just looks like the size of a man's hand out on the horizon, even if it's just that tiny little glimmer, you will know the full promise of God. You'll be like Elijah and you'll be telling him, hey, y'all better get out the way because it's about to rain. You better get out the way because I see the blessing on the horizon. And people are going to look at you like you're crazy because they're going to look at your situation and they're going to still see that you're hurting. They're going to still see that you're in a situation where it looks hopeless. And you're telling them, I see that cloud out there. Maybe you don't see it, but I see it. And that cloud is the promise of God. So you better get out the way because it's about to rain. Amen. And Elijah, he came down off that mountain and it said the spirit of the Lord fell on him and that he ran 40 miles. He ran so fast that he passed up Ahab and his cohorts in their chariots. I mean, this man took off. He was excited about what God had done for him. I don't know about y'all, but when God moves in my life, I may not be passing up no chariots, but I'm running. Hallelujah. You know, I'm running to tell somebody about what God has done for me. I can't sit still. Even if I have to fight for it, even if I have to be persistent, even if I have to be stubborn in my prayer, when God moves, I'm going to run and I'm going to tell somebody, amen? Amen. And it goes on and it talks about how Queen Jezebel, she heard, she heard about what Elijah had done. Even though, even though he prayed and even though blessing was coming back upon the land and the crops were going to begin to grow and that their money was going to begin to flow, she was so caught up in what he had done that he had, that he had killed these evil prophets and all, and all this kind of stuff that she sent out a message to Elijah and, and, and the message got back to him, but got back to Elijah and it said, Elijah, when I find you, I'm going to do the same exact thing that you did to my prophets. I'm going to cut you up. <laughs> I'm going to burn you up. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do bad things to you. And the, and the word says that, that Elijah became afraid and that he ran for his life. And he came to this place called Beersheba in Judah and he left his servant there and he went out into the wilderness by himself and laid down under this bush and began to pray to God that he, that he wanted to die. That he was so afraid that this woman was going to kill him and do these awful things to him that he was done. He went and, and, and seeked out 
shelter with the Lord and said, God, this, you know, this is it. I'm done. Like, I can't, I can't go on. And man, when I'm reading the story, I'm like, what is going on here? <laughs> you know, like here's a guy who one moment he was praying and instantaneously fire fell and God moved. And then here's this guy who goes up on the mountain and he's so stubbornly persistent. He's so convinced that the will of God is going to happen that he prays and his servant runs up and runs down. He prays and his servant runs up and runs down seven times. And then he gets, he gets filled with the Holy Spirit or the Holy Spirit falls on him. And this other miracle happens and he takes off running, literally running faster than a chariot to get back to where he was going. And then he receives this message from this woman who has already done all these terrible things to the God of, people of God. And he becomes afraid. And he goes and hides out in the woods and just lays down and prays to God, hey God, I'm, I'm ready to die. You know, and the Lord began to speak to me and I kept going back to that scripture in James that says that Elijah was a man just like you and I. You know, there are, there are times in our life where we get to a place where we feel like that, don't we? Tragedy comes, your, your whole world gets rocked, your whole world gets shaken, and you're like, Lord, I don't even know if I can go on anymore. I just want to lay down and die. I'm just going to lay down under this bush right here, and I'm going to tell you, just like it is, God, I can't go on. I can't do it anymore. And there's something so beautiful about this story because it doesn't say that God chastised him. It doesn't say that God sent him somebody to tell him that he didn't have enough faith. It didn't say that God sent somebody to kick him while he was down. It didn't say that God sent somebody to shake him and tell him, what's wrong with you, man? Don't you know what God has done in your life? Can't you see the goodness of God in your life? Can't you see what God has done to you and done for you? What God has brought you out of? No, it says that the Lord sent an angel and when Elijah woke up, there was an angel sitting there and there was a stone sitting on top of a fire with a fresh baked loaf of bread and a jug of water. And the angel told Elijah, eat, drink, and take a nap. <laughs> eat, drink, and take a nap. And that's what he did. He ate that bread, he drank that water, and he went back to sleep. And he said he woke up again the next day and the angel of the Lord was still there. And there was another loaf of bread and there was another jug of fresh water. And he told him, guess what? Eat, drink, and take a nap again. You know, there are times in our lives where we're in, we're in a season of our life where we, we feel like we can't go on. And there's a culture in the church that does say all those things that I said earlier, right? Hey, where's your faith? I thought, you, I thought you'd been a Christian for a long time. You know, I thought you were a man of God. I thought you were a woman of God. I thought, you know, I thought, I thought that you read the word. You know, I thought this, I thought that. Like, what's wrong with you? Don't you know how good God is? Don't you know what the word of God says? Don't you know what the promises of God are? And we, and we think that we're encouraging people and we're really beating on them because what we're really telling them is you don't have enough faith, that you really aren't a child of God, that maybe you really weren't saved in the first place. I've heard people tell that before, tell people that before. When they get in that season in their life where they're so beat down and they're so run down by life 
and people don't know what the word of God says. People don't understand what the heart of God is, and they begin to beat up on those people. And all God's trying to do is give you some bread, give you some water, and tell you to take a nap. He's trying to tell you, I've got this. I'm here to minister to you. That this relationship that we have with God, this prayer relationship, this, this intimate relationship that we have with God is not just one way. God is not just sitting up in heaven waiting for us to praise him and worship him. He's not just sitting back waiting for us to pray to him so that way he can just take it all in, me, me, me. No, we have a relationship with God. I don't know if you have a relationship with someone in your life, but when you're in relationship with somebody, there's give and take. You pour into their life and they pour into your life. That's what this is about. And that's what God did here with Elijah. He didn't beat up Elijah when he was in a moment of weakness. He began to pour into his life even more. He didn't tell Elijah, where's your faith? He said, rest because I've got this. Rest because I've got you. I'm holding you in my hand. I'm protecting you. I'm providing for you in your moment of weakness because that's what this relationship is about. Thank you, Lord. You know, some of us are in a season right now where every time we pray, fire falls. We need finances, we need healing, we need a breakthrough, and boom, it seems like fire falls every time. You know, some of us are in that season where it feels like every time we pray, we got to run up and down that mountain to go check and see where the blessing of God is. And we pray again, and we run up that mountain, and we look, and we run back down, and we pray again. And we may feel frustrated. We may feel like we're failing somehow. But I tell you what, God is working. Amen. God is always working. God is always moving. You know, and some of us may be in that season right now where you feel like you can't go on. You know, these last few years have been rough for a lot of folks. A lot of Christian people who are, who are people of faith, who, have, who, who are people of, who are rocks, right? Like you're like, man, like that, that person is, is, a, is a solid rock in this church. And then you see him struggle. And do you minister to him or do you say, hey, what's going on? Do they, are they really faithful? Are they really, do they really serve God? Do they really know what God has for them? Do they really know the goodness of God? Because that's not God's heart for us. God God ministered to him. You know, no matter what season of prayer you're in in your life, whether the fire's fallen, whether you're running up and down the mountain praying, whether you're in that situation where you need to be ministered to the Lord, we got to know this one thing, all right? We have to know that the nature of our circumstance does not change the nature of God. Did you hear me? I said the nature of our circumstance, if you pray and fire falls, that doesn't make God any better than he already is. If you're praying and you got to run up and down that mountain to find your blessing, to check for your blessing, that doesn't make God any less than he was. If you're in that situation where you can't go on, where you're desperate, where you are run down, where you're tired, that doesn't make God any less than who he is because God is always good. God is always working. God is always pouring into our lives. Amen. You know, but if we don't know who God is, if we don't know 
what God has for us, if we're not in the word, if we're not seeking out who he truly is, the only way, to, the only way for us to truly have an intimate relationship with Christ is not just through receiving the Holy Spirit and praying, but we have to tie the word into that, amen? Because people can speak into your life. People can give you a word. You can hear directly from God in your heart. You can receive revelation. But I'm going to tell you this right now. If it doesn't line up with what is written in the word of God, that is not the voice of God. I'm just telling you that right now. I know that's a hard thing to hear because we live in a generation. We live in a time where, you know, people are like, man, I want to hear. I want to hear. And there's a lot of voices out there that are giving out a lot of information. And a lot of that information is so close to the truth. It's close enough to lead you away from who God is. It's close enough to pull you away and, and to change your mind and be like, oh, well, maybe I was wrong about my faith my whole life, or maybe I was wrong about this, or maybe I was wrong about that. So we have to be desperate about knowing what the Word of God says. You know, we, we are not alone in prayer. Y'all can go ahead and come on up. James 5, 13 through 15 says, is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing psalms. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. You know, when I was studying the scripture I began, I began to look at some different studies and stuff. And in, in verse 13, that word sick, it's used 12 other times uh, in the New Testament, the same exact word. But those other times it's translated as weary. And so through the different commentaries and stuff I was reading is that that's what it's talking about. That, this, that when it says that the prayer of faith will save the sick, that, you know, it talks about, to bring the sick before the elders of the church. It doesn't necessarily mean just a physical ailment. You know, I thank, I thank God for her sister Angel because I know that she heard the word of the Lord this morning because she had no idea what I was going to talk about this morning. But that's what she said. She said, there are those of you out there right now this morning who showed up and you're weary. You're feeling broke down. You feel like you're in that season where, Lord, I'm done. Lord, I can't go on. Like, I, I just don't know what else to do, Lord. I'm just coming to you because I do love you and I do trust you, but this is where I'm at. Just being, I mean, Elijah was just being honest with God. We have to be honest with God. We can't be afraid to be honest with God. We can't allow our emotions to control us, but we're not robots either, right? God gave us emotion. It's not wrong to feel emotion. If you are in a situation in your life where you're angry, where you're, where you're fed up, where you're, where you're tired, where you're weary, you're depressed, we can't just pretend like, oh, well, you know, that's, everything's fine. Like, that's not, no, we have to go to God and we have to be honest with God. Just like Elijah was, he was honest with the Lord. He said, Lord, I, I can't go on. Even though I know you've done all this for me, all these great things, I know you've used me mightily. You've used me mightily to turn a nation's heart back to you through your miracles. But I'm in this situation right now in my life where I, I, I'm done, Lord. And James knew that. That's why James talked about Elijah in this passage. 
That's why James made that reference that said that Elijah is a man just like you and I. That we can't rest on, well, you know, this is, these are things, awesome things that God's done in my life, so I can't feel this way. I can't allow myself to feel this way. Because James set up this scripture to show us what God's will is for us. It says, the prayer of the elders will restore, save the weary or the sick. And your sins will even be forgiven you. So the power of this prayer, this power of faith, of this prayer of restoration, it says that they will anoint you with oil. The word that they used in this instance for anointing is the same word that they use in the Greek when they're talking about treating a wound and cleaning a wound with oil and dressing a wound. It says that they will anoint you and that their prayer of faith will not only make you whole, but your sins will be forgiven you. What God is saying is if you are in a place in your life right now where that's where you feel like you're at, where like you feel like, Lord, like I don't got nothing left. He said, you don't have to. He said, because I've put these people in your life that are there to minister to you like God ministered to Elijah. That these men and women are not there to tell you that you need to get your act together. These men and women are not here to tell you and shake you and tell you that you don't have enough faith because it says that their prayer of faith and that them anointing you and them pouring into your life will not only heal you, not only restore you, but those sins in your life, those places where you feel like you're lacking, those places where you feel like you've let God down, that those, that those sins will be forgiven of you. You know, if you're, if you're a, a pastor or a life group leader or if you're one of the prayer, prayer team members, will you stand up for me real quick? If you look around this room right now, these are the men and women of God that James was talking about. And it's not just when they're here in this building. These are the people that you can call in the middle of the night. These are the people that are already praying for you. These are the people who are already ministering to you, already pouring into your life. So how much more will they begin to pour into your life? How much more will their fervent, effective prayer be? How much more will they anoint you and pray over you when you're in that desperate time? If, they, if these people right here are already ministering to you when things are good, if these people are already ministering to you when the fire's fallen, if these people are already ministering to you, even if you're in that season where like, hey man, I'm like, I'm having to pray a lot about this and they're encouraging you, how much more will they minister and pour into your life when you feel like you're done? You know, I want to ask if y'all would please come up. The, the elders and, and leaders. You know, I want to give, I want to give us an opportunity to continue to be the church. Just like I was talking about earlier. You know, it's, it's awesome for us to come and for us to dance and praise and worship because God is worthy. 
It's awesome for us to come and to be able to share the word and share what God has put on our hearts because we need to hear what God has called us to do. We need to hear about what God has done for us. I'm going to share this one last scripture, James 5.16. says, confess your trespasses one to, to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. You know, we must pray for one another. We must cover one another. And we must humble ourselves to allow the elders of the church to function as God has called them to function. They are willing and able. Just like God in that moment, God was willing and able to minister to Elijah. But Elijah had to humble himself and he had to lay down before God and tell him, God, this is, this is where I'm at. This is where I'm at. Just being honest with you, God, this is where I'm at. I'm struggling, Lord. You know, I thank God for the brothers I have in my life. Because there's been a few times over the past year, year and a half, where I've called them and I've told them, hey man, I'm struggling. Dealing with some heavy things. I've lost people that were dear to me. And you know what they did? They prayed for me. They encouraged me. They lifted me up. They didn't tell me, hey, well, you know, maybe you should... Maybe you should take a break for a little while from ministering until you can get it together. Or maybe you should, you know, you know, do this or do that. They're like, hey man, I love you. And I'm praying for you. I'm gonna pour into your life. It's gonna be okay. And they begin to speak the word of God over me, speak the God, word of God into my life. And through that, I've been able to turn around and do the same thing. When people come to me and they're like, hey man, I'm struggling. I can begin to speak the word of God over them and tell them, hey, it's okay to struggle because God is still who he is. You struggling with your situation, you being in the situation where you feel like you can't move, where you feel paralyzed, where you feel stuck, doesn't change who God is. He's still moving. He's still working. He still loves you as much as he did when the fire was falling. He still loves you as much as the day when you were saved, when you gave your life to him and you had that fullness of faith, and you had that rock-solid faith, then you felt like you were invincible, that you were taunting the enemy with your prayer because you were so sure that God was going to move right then and there. He doesn't love you any less right now when you're struggling. This week, I want to challenge you. Before I invite you up, if you, if you need prayer, and, this, and these people are up here just to pray for those who are in that moment, but they're here to pray for anybody who's at any season in their life. Whether, you, whether you've been living a prayerless life, whether you've been living a selfish prayer, whether you don't know how to pray, you don't know the word of God, you don't know the will of God, but you want it more, or whether you're in one of these three seasons of prayer, these people are up here to pour into your life and to speak blessing over you, to anoint you, and to help lead you and guide you into that deeper walk, to help lead you and guide you into that healthy walk, to help to pull you out of that hole if you're in that hole. But this week, I'm gonna challenge you. I'm gonna challenge you to study the word of God in a deeper way.
I want to challenge you to pray the word over your life in a personal way. If you don't know how to pray, pray find, those, find those scriptures. Get in the book of Psalms. The book of Psalms is, it, they're songs, but they're prayers. They're all prayers. And just go in there and every Psalm has a header. And it tells you, hey, this is a prayer of faith. Hey, this is a prayer of healing. This is a prayer of attack of the enemy. This, this is this, this is that. And pray those prayers over your life. And that will begin to develop in you a prayer life. It'll begin to teach you how to pray those promises of God. It'll begin to teach you how to dig in and pray and and become that prayer warrior that God has called you to be. And the last thing, and we can do this right now, is to humble yourself and seek out the elders to pray over you. And I just, I, I feel like God's not done here this morning. You know, I know it's a little bit later than we usually are here. And if you got to go, you got to go. I understand that. But, I, but, but don't be so worried about getting out of here on time or going home and making lunch or whatever it is you got to do. Don't be so worried about that, that you miss what God has for you this morning. That you miss how God wants to move in your life this morning. I just want to invite you up right now. Don't be ashamed. Don't, don't worry about who's going to see you. Don't worry about who's going to whatever. If you, need, if you need a move of God in your life right now, then come on up. Because these people, they love you. And they want to see you have a successful life. Not just in the physical, but in, in, in the spirit too. Amen. That's all I got, Pastor. It's often foreign what the church is supposed to look like. A lot of the church has been marketed and it's been put in a way to where it's like a fast food restaurant. You come in, you get what you want, you grab it, hopefully they don't mess up your order and you're gone. (laughs) Things that change in our life often take an act of obedience, a willingness and sometimes a sacrifice. But really, God has established the church for each of us. Do you know that there's moments even when as elders and pastors where we may need to receive that same prayer for us? It's not that everyone here has it all together all the time. But let me tell you what, God has designed the church to where somebody always has what you need. Always. When I'm weary, somebody comes along and picks up Pastor Noe's head. But when when you are weary, he brings someone alongside you. You guys stand up with us. Now either all of you got it together, or you just refusing to move from your seat. Now what you do at this moment is up to you. If you are at that place where you need a radical touch from God, please don't leave without receiving it. I believe God is more than willing to give you whatever you need this morning. But you have to come to the altar. You have to come to the place of asking and accepting and receiving that. Now, if you say, Pastor Noe, I'm on the mountaintop. I'm praying down fire from heaven right now. Then continue to pray. Continue to thrive in that moment. 
Maybe God wants to use you to minister to someone else because we are not always at that place. But regardless of what place we're at, God promises to be faithful. Do you realize in each of those moments of Elijah's life, God was still with him. He was with him. He provided everything he had need of. So let me pray over you. Let me bless you. And I'm going to dismiss you. If you have kids and you need to go get them, you can go get them. If you want prayer, we are here for you. We won't close these doors till everybody gets what they have need of. So let me pray for you. Father, I thank you for each one here today. God, that the church was your idea. That when you died on the cross, you thought of us. Father, you were despised. Your son was despised and rejected so that we would not have to be. But Lord, I thank you that we can come boldly before your throne of grace with confidence. And Father, we can trust you at your word every single time. So today, before we leave, we say, Lord, we trust you in every season on the mountaintop or in the valley. We trust you. Father, as we go from this place, that there would be an excitement and an encouragement in our heart to know that you are there and that you've surrounded us with great people to encourage and to comfort and to uplift. Father, as we go from this place, help us show the love of God in a practical, tangible way. Lord, I thank you for what you're doing in our lives. Lord, this morning, if we don't know how to pray, that you would help us learn to pray because it is oh so necessary. Father, I bless each one under the sound of my voice. May you enlarge their territory this week. May your face and your goodness shine upon them in everything they do, everywhere they go, in every conversation they have. Lord, I bless them. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen and amen. You guys are dismissed. We love you. We'll see you next week. If there's anything we can do for you, please come forward. Thank you for joining us for the Harvest Time Church podcast. We hope you've been encouraged and empowered. If you'd like more information about our family, please write us at 42 FM 2540 South, Bay City, Texas 77414. Or check us out on the web at harvesttimebaycity.com.